their impression of, you know, evangelical Christianism is like this woman yelling at me, saying I'm going to hell and I'm damned and screaming her head off at me. Like that would turn me out. Like it's all about what kind of witness are you bearing? And if it's, if it's not out of a loving way, then you're doing it wrong from the start. All right. So, uh, our first base camp of 2022, um, We've been a little slack on getting back to these, uh, partly because, or mostly because, <clears throat> the 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 mission and vision of all things all people over the last few months has been uh, becoming more and more focused to exclusively uh, exist to uh, explore the darkest places and worldviews for the gospel and to equip Christians to engage them with the gospel. And so with that, we've spent the early part of the year sort of uh, honing in on that mission and vision, and we are uh, re-entering the world of podcasting. If uh, at this point you haven't figured it out, the the All Things All People podcast, uh, as, it, as it was previously uh, known, um, is on extended and indefinite hiatus, and so make sure to go back and check out the amazing guests that we were privileged to have on that show, um, many of whom are still, uh, you know, engaging with All Things All People over on Instagram at allthings.allpeople, uh, so make sure to go take advantage of the, the library of awesome shows and episodes that we had there, but moving forward, you can expect um, a base camp a month, and starting 2022 off is uh, this Latter-day Saint base camp, which is based off of the experience uh, that not only I, but David Morales, um, David is uh, part of the team with All Things All People, and um, on a recent trip to Salt Lake City and Provo, Utah for Latter-day Saint General Conference, uh, David came along uh, with myself and served as director of photography, um, which is a fancy way of saying cameraman. And so, uh, but also just... uh, Helped with social media and just um, making things look good. And he is the one that made this episode, hopefully sound good, uh, editing audio. um, And uh, just helping me out in a million different ways because I am um, aesthetically uh, not inclined. And so, uh, David, welcome to the, the podcast and glad to have you on the team. Super excited. Yeah. And for those of you wondering, uh, Josh and Ben aren't on this episode because they weren't on this trip. And so moving forward, um, base camps will have the people uh, that were part of the adventures, the expeditions that we go on. And some of those are going to be local to us. uh, And some of them are going to be big trips like this one. And so I'm excited for you to get a peek into... um, you know, how we view the world as we explore how other people view the world. And hopefully you might even learn from all this that um, you don't have to get on a plane and go across the country or across the world. Um, if you go back and listen to um, some of our older base camps, um, they were us driving to places. You know, um, when we went to the Church of Scientology last year, we, you know, we drove three hours, which um, is further than you would typically go for for most of your your day trips, but um, well within reach. And so, uh, so hopefully you'll you'll hear that moving forward. And we have a really great lineup coming up for the rest of the year with some other big trips planned, but some also uh, local local day trips, uh, and, and things like that, uh, planned. And so, but David, we went to, um, 
well, we thought we were going to be predominantly in Salt Lake City. Um, you had approached me about coming on this one, which was advantageous for me because uh, you had been there before with your family. Yep. Um, most people who po- know you personally know. Um, how long was the RV we, expedition? Uh, we were initially from Rhode Island, but we decided we wanted to move. And in the midst of the moving, we we uh, decided to basically make an extended move and just move for two and a half years. And in that two yeah. and a half years, we, you know, we got a fifth wheel RV and we uh, just toured the country. I think we hit like thirty six states, and one of those just happened to be Utah. We had uh, we had Salt Lake, um, and it, it was beautiful there. And it was uh, it was really good to be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Um, if if you've been to Utah or you know specifically Salt Lake and Provo, it's um, I mean really honestly the 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 biggest highlight to take away uh, more than any of the you know cultural religious experiences we had. It's insanely beautiful. You actually had to convince me to get back on the plane to go back home. Yeah. So yeah, David David's a young man um, and uh, with his whole life ahead of him. And so here we are in this, in these valleys surrounded by the Rocky mountains, the Western, the Western slope of the Rocky mountains. And, uh, the other thing you'll hear all the time about Salt Lake city and Provo, Utah in general, I think we heard it yesterday from somebody, I can't remember who it was, mm-hmm. um, a friend of ours here at, at church. Um, it's super clean. It's very pleasant, great food, great restaurants. Yep. So yeah, it's a great place to be. Um, you know, but it's, uh, for good reason, predominantly, overwhelmingly even, influenced by Latter-day Saint culture. And the reason for that is they founded the state, (laughs) (laughs) which which we'll get to here in a a few minutes. But but David joined me on this trip. We went out for uh, Latter-day Saint General Conference, uh, the first one that they've had in person since the pandemic started. And um, we'll go at, at length here in just a little bit about our experience with that. For those of you who don't know right away, General Conference is something that happens twice a year, actually. And it is where uh, Latter-day Saints all over the world, because it's live streamed on the LDS app, it's live streamed on YouTube, um, and uh, thousands, I think actually about 10,000, 13,000 Latter-day Saints came and joined in in person in Salt Lake City. They come twice a year and they hear from the president uh, the, the president of the church, um, his advisors called the first presidency and the quorum of the 12, who are the men who are in the Latter-day Saint view entrusted with the apostolic leadership of the church. And part of general conference is, uh, yes, they're there to hear encouragement and guidance from, you know, men who they see as uh, shepherds and overseers and elders, but also new revelation. And that goes back to the history of Latter-day Saints and, and what they believe going all the way back to Joseph Smith and, and Brigham Young after him. Um, and so before we, we talk extensively about General Conference and the experiences that we were able to have um, in truly an eye-opening uh, experience, uh, I think most people don't really know what Latter-day Saints believe. Before you had gone to Utah, or even maybe before this trip, what was what was your predominant experience or like, you know, opinion of Latter-day Saints? Cause you actually know a lot of Latter-day Saints. I have quite a few friends who are either current or um, previous, actually a few friends who are previously um, LDS and, you know, I was friends with them before I knew what LDS really was. And they very much view themselves as another 
not like a sect, but like kind of like, you know, form of Christianity, so to speak. And, you know, having me asking questions, hey, like, what is LDS to them and stuff like that? And they're just like, I was basically just like Christianity with some spice. And I was yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's like all that I knew it to be. Yeah. And then, you know, through learning, honestly, and in, in the past, like, I've done a little bit more learning in the past year or so, but like, especially in the past like month before going on the trip, you know, just really diving in, it's, it could not be more different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we're sitting right now recording this in, you know, our office slash studio for all things, all people. And behind me, it's actually in a huge mountain of disarray because we're reorganizing our library. But, you know, about three weeks before the trip, I come into the office and find all of our books on Latter-day Saint history and theology are gone um, and find you over in a corner over at the church, which is across the field, reading through this. And with every page that you flip, growing more and more disenchanted with how, how come nobody told me they were this different? <laughs> and this is this isn't like in, in like I feel like we were having to like walk you off the edge of like texting your friends, you know, being like, you're not one of us. <laughs> Yeah, this, that's basically what it was. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, probably a good introduction because at the at the end of the day, and I, and we have Latter Day Saints who follow ATAP, um, and and I'll I'll take that as a compliment, um, you know. But many of us, almost all of us, um, being evangelical in the United States, if that's what you are, you probably know a Latter Day Saint. And, and whether you realize it or not, and whether or not they broadcast it or not. Correct. And it's, yeah, many, many of the times they don't because they don't see a reason to. Um, but yeah, so at the end of the day, no, they are not Orthodox Christians because of, of, of a few things. And I'm just going to kind of basic, basically give you a, a rundown. Um, this is not, um, a, a completely, um, you know, exhaustive explanation of Mormon thinking, history, or theology. Um, we're actually right now in the process of beginning to shoot ATAP Academy videos um, on YouTube and on our website. So uh, sometimes here shortly, you'll, you'll begin, you can go and get those exhaustive treatments of uh, various groups um, and ideas and philosophies. And we're starting with Latter-day Saints because of the timing of this. And so go check those resources out. But um, Joseph Smith, uh, the founder of Latter-day Saints, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, was born in Vermont in 1805. So right away, that sets the tone. This is a uniquely American religion, one of the few, actually. And, and you'll, you'll hear the two that get mentioned most of the time when you're talking about American religions um, is Latter-day Saints and Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. um, some people would group in Scientology with that. Um, me personally, I just don't think they've been influential enough to really fall into this category with Latter-day Saints and, and Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, it's pretty recent, too, and didn't, like, in that same county, in that same year, didn't, like, two other, um, yeah. like, cultish kind of, you know... Yeah, cultish. Yeah, that's... Oh, that's actually a good reminder for our conversation later, that word cultish. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't know the, the breakdown of, you know, what county all this happened in, but uh, Joseph Smith... Um, later in his life, him and his family moved to New York, Palmyra, New York specifically, and they became Presbyterians and he was sort of disenchanted with institutionalized religion. And all of this comes out of what you just mentioned is, um, the, the second great awakening predominantly impacted the Northeastern United States. And, um, a lot of religious movements came out of that. Some of which are still, you know, uh, 
part of the modern day church today, uh, specifically a lot of millennialist movements. Um, so millennialism would be the idea that there will be a literal reign of Christ here on earth for a thousand years. And actually many Orthodox Christians, when I say Orthodox, I mean, lowercase O like, um, Christians who are accepted as, you know, part of Christianity, um, heterodox Christians would be Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witnesses, and there's other groups as well. Um, but there's plenty of Orthodox groups that are millennialist that that trace that lineage theologically back to what's called the burned over district in the Northeast after this uh, huge revivalist movement. Um, Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists, Millerites, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses were largely impacted by this. And that huge ball of religious fervor that came with revival um, spun off into what now are, are still existing today as these cults and cultish groups. Um, you know, we'll do some content at some point about Seventh-day Adventists. Um, they're, they're a little bit harder to peg and classify as opposed to Jehovah's Witnesses and, and uh, LDS. But so, so he comes out of this, this climate of religious fervor, and um, he is really disenchanted by a lot of this division that he sees between the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the, the Baptists, and so on and so on. And so according to Mormon tradition, this is when Joseph Smith had his first vision. He was 14 years old, went into the woods to pray about which group he should become a part of. This is how the church tells it to this day. Uh, and in this vision, which is foundational to the Mormon faith, Smith claimed to see two personages. The one, God the Father, pointed to the other and said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And Smith asked them which group he should join. They answered that he should join none of them. They were all wrong, and all their creeds were an abomination, and their believers corrupt. Three years later, um, Latter-day Saints, or as they used to be uh, preferred to be called Mormons, um, now the, the nomenclature is such that they only use Mormon to describe the Book of Mormon, but they prefer to be called Latter-day Saints now. Um, they believe Smith received another vision. And in this vision, the angel Moroni told Smith of golden plates buried under a hill near Palmyra, once again in New York. The plates were revealed in 1827 when Smith was provided with two reading crystals, uh, the Urim and the Thummim, um, by which he could translate the writing, because uh, he claimed that these plates were written in Egyptian hieroglyphics. Um, in 1830, uh, Smith published the Book of Mormon, which contains the story of the lost Israelites who migrated to America um, in the 6th century BC, but were killed in battle in AD 428. Smith later received another vision from John the Baptist, giving him the authority that comes with the Aaronic priesthood. Um, and in that same year, 1830, Smith founded the Church of Christ, which later in 1838, he changed to the name the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so, and a lot of that uh, research comes from uh, Kevin DeYoung with the Gospel Coalition. Um, but that's just the basic rundown of the history of how it came about. And so, yeah, so basically we see something that I think if most people knew that right away, yeah, there's enough there. And we haven't even gotten to some of the more out-of-pocket beliefs. But right there, I think most Christians, or even some Mormons probably, um, or Latter-day Saints, they would kind of go, hmm, that's not that long ago. Yeah. Um, I'm not used to hearing religions start in New York, um, you know, um, and Egyptian hieroglyphics, that's kind of a strange inclusion. I was thinking that too, yeah. You know, and, and, and funny enough too, um, no one ever saw the tablets. Really? Yeah, Joseph Smith, I mean, no one ever saw them. Um, 
and you'll hear different accounts of like how they were translated, but like no, no, like mo- I think the church officially says, uh, and I'm not hundred percent sure on this, but I think the church officially says like he didn't translate them himself. The, the, the two like seeing crystals essentially translated it for him. So he never professed to be an expert in Egyptian hieroglyphs, largely historically, like since then, as the church has given examples of like what these hieroglyphs might've looked like, a lot of Egyptologists and anthropologists and archeologists have said, this is not a statement. It's a bold statement, you know, and, uh, the, the nerve of, um, you know, saying something in ancient Egyptian hieroglyph and not being an expert in hieroglyphics is cultural appropriation, pretty, pretty, yeah. Cultural appropriation at its finest. It's also just bold. I like what you said. Um, so he starts kind of sharing this new revelation and everything that's come with it. Hey, every other church is apostate. They were corrupted um, after the time of the apostles. And um, he begins to share this stuff in along with the Book of Mormon. Hey, there's this new gospel. And the United States, the, the, this continent, so to speak, um, ha- plays a greater role in the, the, the narrative of, of salvation history and things like that. And so he begins to gather quite a bit of a following. It's in my opinion. He, um, I, my opinion is that Joseph Smith was a very charismatic guy. And once again, they're coming out of this climate of religious fervor where other people um, were making some pretty bold claims themselves. So it wasn't completely unusual. Somebody says stuff like this today, more often than not, they're going to be laughed at as a heretic or somebody who's trying to drum up some sort of cult following. I mean, it was even advantageous for like his time too. It definitely did help that there were a lot of people trying to do the same thing that he was doing. Yeah. And there's no Google. You you know what I mean? Like, I mean, and, and now that's not to say that cults don't start today. Right. But I doubt they'd found a state today, you know, yeah. um, because of just the access to truth and, and historical uh, information now. So so he he begins this following. They move out of the Northeast and into Ohio. Um, and this is where trouble begins for them. They have a hard time in Ohio. Um, they what they would say they would experience great persecution. They moved to Missouri where they tried to settle down, they experienced even more persecution and um, were threatened with violence and were the state actually ordered the population to drive them out of Missouri. They go into Illinois, into a city called Nauvoo, where they founded. And so actually there's a great, um, there's two books that I really recommend. One's called American Crucifixion and the other one is Joseph Smith for President. Um, that kind of chronicles this time in, in Smith's life where he comes in and um, quite impressively actually like has this huge following and they found this small town, this city that becomes essentially their Mecca in, in Illinois, Nauvoo, Illinois. And um, they have essentially an army, the Nauvoo Legion. He is the, you know, the governor, the, the judge, the priest, um, it, it's very much a theocracy at this point that surrounds Joseph Smith and his leadership. And so um, things, once again, go badly for them. Uh, and uh, he's arrested. And the history surrounding his death is somewhat convoluted. But at the end of the day, what we know is that he was killed in a shootout um, while he was in jail. And so it was either a mob lynching or a deadly shootout, either one, but he was killed along with 
another leader in the early church, and there was a divide. There was a schism. A small group moved to Missouri, um, and still to this day are known as the reorganized church, and the rest followed Brigham Young to what is now Salt Lake City, Utah. And they went on this huge exodus across the plains and founded Utah as a state. And, and Salt Lake City with it and Provo and all these other these other cities. And so that's why if you go to Utah, when we were riding around on the train and all these things, is actually most of the cities have biblical names or names that are biblical if you follow the Mormon canon. Yeah. Um, and so they, believe, they, they view themselves as restorationists. They believe the church fell into apostasy after, after the death of the apostles. And God used Smith to bring about new and essential revelation to bring his church back. And so that's how they ended up in Utah. And so, like when we say that Utah and Salt Lake City and all the, you know, Provo are largely uh, framed by Latter-day Saint thinking and culture, that's why. They created the framework, yeah. They created the framework. So, yeah, they invented the framework, even, yeah. you know. And and then also, interestingly enough, too, like I said, it's purely American. And so, I mean, they might disagree with that. But at the end of the day, like, there's a reason why, um, you know, when one of the biggest objections that I get for like doing work like this, and I actually got a couple people messaging us when we were there mm-hmm. saying, you know, hey, I understand that they believe different things, but I have a Latter day Saint neighbor or a friend, and they're the nicest person I know, and they're a good dad, they're a good mom. Um, you know, why pick a fight with them? Why object to their way of thinking and all these things? And, and I actually think it's over here on the board. I, I drew this up a couple of days ago is, you know, we don't object to them because their culture is so similar to ours because their culture was born out of an American culture right. that was shaped by Judeo-Christianity and by what we accept as normalcy, but their worldview couldn't be more different. Right. We, I, I mean, we'll probably talk about this more later, but like, I don't believe we believe in the same God, you know, like Correct. that's the, that's the reason to talk about it is because... It's not like talking about just another, you know, um, sub subsect of Christianity. It's, it's yeah. not about uh, another, you know. Uh, it's it's not you know Baptist versus Lutheran. It's it's definitely two different gods that we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, it's the same thing as like when we say like, you know, um, a couple years ago I had Andy Bannister on the ATAP podcast, and he wrote a book about whether or not. Um, Christians and Muslims and Jews worship the same God. And he says no, because they exhibit completely different patterns of behavior and they seem to just be completely different in personage. And so that doesn't mean we hate Muslims. That doesn't mean we pick a fight with them. But what it means is we're honest with them. Yeah. And um, a good friend of ours now who we worked with while we were there, uh, uh, Joe McCormick, who's the pastor of Calvary Mountain View in American Fork, um, the first time he and I spoke ahead of our trip out there, you know, he was talking about the work that he had done among among Latter-day Saints, specifically BYU students, um, and he had had um, a Latter-day Saint kind of say what we heard quite a bit and are going to continue to hear, which is, hey, we're basically the same. Yeah. And he, he very um, wisely pointed out to the person, he said, hey, listen, if you believe what you say you believe, then you believe in the 1800s, Joseph Smith said he saw a vision that said that what I believe is an abomination. Mm-hmm. And that me as a messenger of, you know, this gospel of Jesus Christ that I preach are leading people astray. And if, and if I believe what I say, I believe, then I believe that you have been tricked into, into following false prophets and believing into a, a, a false gospel that is 
built largely on works and not on grace and not on the work of Jesus Christ. So the most loving thing the two of us can do is not agree to disagree, but agree that we disagree. It's more harming and like disrespectful to say that we believe the same thing yeah. just to keep, you know, cordialness and, and just, just yeah. keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a big reason why we are where we're at, where, it, where people hear these kinds of conversations and they go, you know, hey, go talk about Muslims, go talk about Hindus, go talk about the occult again, leave the Mormons alone because they're really good. They are great neighbors. Yeah. You know what I mean? And in, in, in Salt Lake City, super clean, um, beautiful, um, all these things. But at the end of the day, what you just brought up is the beginning point of, you know, continuing to talk about their beliefs is they don't believe in the same God. Right. And that doesn't mean to ridicule them. That means be honest. And they should be honest and we should be honest. We're not, we don't believe in the same thing, you know? And if you don't believe in the same God, then even if you use the same words, which Latter-day Saints very much do, like if you looked at their dictionary versus our dictionary, it's all the same words, but a lot of the definitions are drastically Absolutely. different. And so that really starts with God. Um, so the doctrine of God is, 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 I'll put it simply, God is an exalted man with flesh and bones, just like me and you, who lived in a past time, uh, going back to a past infinite, um, where he lived a faithful life as a saint, um, on a different sphere of existence. You can say planet. Um, they don't typically like that word because they like to appeal to the mystery of all of this. But at the end of the day, um, he lived a faithful life with his wife, uh, who is now, with our heavenly father, we also have a heavenly mother mm-hmm. who lived uh, good enough lives to essentially inherit their own sphere of existence, which is this world that we live in. And they created spiritual children uh, together, the heavenly father and heavenly mother, the way that people create children. Mm-hmm. Um, and their firstborn spiritual child was Jesus Christ and and the rest of us after that. And, and so uh, people are... Uh, pre-existent, essentially not not completely pre-existent, but spiritual offspring of these this heavenly father and heavenly mother, um, and uh, that's how we came about. And so um, they are quoted as saying that you know if if you could tear away the veil and um, the great God who holds this world in orbit, I'm quoting Joseph Smith now, uh, who upholds all worlds and all things by his power was to make himself visible. I say, if you were to see him today, you would see him like a man in form. And I've heard people say that Brigham Young, you know, even said he's, you know, he's this tall, he's, you know, five foot 11, about probably, I'm just willing to, to guess about look, look probably like Brigham Young, he would say, um, and so, you know, inherent with this is a denial of the Orthodox belief in the Trinity. Um, so you have a God who not only is not triune, but he's actually human. Yeah. You know, and so right away we see this is problematic. You know, we, we can't sweep this under the rug. So right away, yes, uh, their culture is pleasant and cordial. Um, but if you need, you know, we could stop here. And there's, that's enough reason to point out theologically that there's great in, in huge differences. I'll just continue on somewhat briefly, and then we'll talk about our experiences out, out there. Um, so obviously along with this, Jesus was the spiritual firstborn son of God and our heavenly father and heavenly mother uh, in preexistence. And we are the younger brothers and sisters of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he take his, took his role um, as redeemer um, 
to rescue us from our sin, but his death, burial, and resurrection did not atone for our sin in the same way that Orthodox Christianity says in something like, you know, penal substitutionary atonement, but it bought us immortality. It ransomed us. And so, um, so it, it allows us to experience a resurrection that will lead then to a judgment, but there is no sin covering like what we would say, you know, when I, I believe that, you know, on the judgment day, when God looks at me, he's going to not see my righteousness. He's not going to see my works. He's going to see Jesus's. Um, and we believe that because, you know, second Corinthians five says he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Um, and and a million other verses too. Um, so with that as well, um, it's important to know Latter-day Saints, um, have a bigger canon than we have, or a bigger collection of Holy scriptures. Um, they use the Bible as far as they would say, as far as it is translated correctly. Um, they also include the Book of Mormon, which we have at least a handful of copies laying around this office right now. I think you're using one as a coaster. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, so uh, he, Joseph Smith declared this is the most correct of any book on earth and is the keystone of our religion. And a man would get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts more than any other book. With that, Doctrines and Covenants, which is essentially, a, a, and, and the Pearl of Great Price, which are essentially um, collections of teachings from Joseph Smith and other prophets. Massive notation. Wouldn't he also say that the Book of Mormon would override any contradictions to the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, so there's definitely things in the Book of Mormon that... Um, seem to contradict the Bible and just historic Christian teaching. And so, and it's, and it's actually an important part of Latter-day Saint thinking what you just said, the, the continual revelation, which is that a new revelation can override a past revelation. So they wouldn't say that the Bible was wrong or like, Hey, let me explain away. They would actually very openly say, no, this newer revelation supersedes the old revelation. So sometimes there's contradictions that need to be explained, but other times they'll just kind of say, no, that's changed now, you know, and a great example of that, um, at least historically, not necessarily, uh, scripturally is, um, the plural wives, plural marriage. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Joseph Smith, when he starting, when he was in Nauvoo, um, and Brigham Young and some of his other key leaders with him started taking multiple wives. And the reason that they said they, they did this, a God commanded them to B, the prophets of the old Testament had multiple wives, their prophets. So we should have multiple wives, but C, one of the great difficulties of Latter-day Saint thinking and theology is for women. Um, women, can only go to the highest level of heaven and exaltation if they're married. And so they were looking around at all these women who had followed them to Illinois who had no husband. And um, so they kind of viewed it as they were doing these women a favor, uh, marrying them celestially, they would say a celestial marriage, and sealing them for eternity so that they could be exalted one day like them. Right. And so, so now, though, um, and really not long after they got to Salt Lake City, they ended that practice. So they wouldn't say that Joseph Smith was wrong. They would say that the new revelation supersedes the old revelation, and that wasn't wrong then, but it's wrong now, um, and we don't need to do it anymore. And so that's just one example. There's, there's quite a few. of you'll, Actually, the history of Latter-day Saint thinking and theology um, you know, follows that line. Yeah. Um, and so now... Um, 
and this brings us to general conference, the only one authorized to bring forth new doctrine is the president of the church, who, when he does, will declare it as revelation from God, and it will be accepted by the church's first presidency and the quorum of the 12 apostles, and then sustained by the body of the church. And so that's why we went out to Utah. Um, is uh, we wanted to go see this, um, and boy, was it interesting! Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's a good word. So, um, so we stayed in Provo, Utah, um, which is the home of uh, Brigham Young University. Uh, my original plan was to book us accommodations in Salt Lake until I really started doing some research into LDS culture and finding out that the rest of us think the seat of Latter Day Saint. Uh, culture is Salt Lake City because that's just what we've always thought, yeah. but it's really Provo. Um, and we learned that actually, we learned that minutes after getting to our hotel. Yeah, we you... realized that like two blocks away was the like International Mission Training Center for mm-hmm. Mormon Church. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so we were a stone's throw away from BYU. And then, yeah, the place where every single LDS missionary goes to be trained. Yeah. You know, um, we were near the Utah temple. Um, but do you remember what happened when we were checking into our hotel? Oh yeah. Well, we were asked what we were doing here and like where we're from and stuff like that as every, you know, hotel yeah. um, staff does. Um, but we got there and, and you said basically we're there for general conference. It's funny. Cause like realizing there's a bunch of like different ways you can approach a conversation with something like this. Like you can approach it with the, like we went on a tour into Brigham Young's house um, on one of the days we were there and uh, someone asked what we were doing there. And I said, oh, I'm just a, uh, you know, this, this is my professor of, uh, he's a world view, he's a world religions professor. And like, that was like the hat that like I chose to wear in that moment or yeah. whatever. But like, you basically said, hey, we're here for general conference. And they're like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And like, kind of like started asking a bunch of questions about like, you know, what you're doing, where, where you're from and stuff like that. And he's like, well, I'm actually not a member of the church. We're kind of just observing general conference. And immediately they kind of like checked out, yeah. like even no matter how we phrased that conversation, they kind of just checked out. We're like, all right. Let's let's just you know finish up our paperwork and go. Yeah, and the reason we found out really, um, I can understand why they did that because most people who are not LDS who come for general conference, as we found out on Saturday when we went, are not there peaceably. No, no they're, they're no, there no. to cause trouble, yeah. um, and they're there to ridicule and rant. Um, but yeah, so we spent a significant amount of time in Provo. That's where we stayed. Um, as I mentioned, our friend Joe, uh, who's at Calvary Mountain View, if you're in the American Fork Provo area um, and you don't have a church, please check out Calvary Mountain View. Joe McCormick was so good to us, and um, and that church in general is awesome. Um, but yeah, the culture in Provo is is really. I I don't want to say it's it's it, it's not. It's not such that like if you if you got dropped there you'd be like oh my gosh where the heck am I I mean a like I said it's beautiful um, but it's kind of like any college town but it's also unlike any other college town yeah we were right next to BYU you know yeah. um, and we actually spent some time at BYU on Sunday I believe yep. um, and uh, so general conference was going on as well as it was Sunday and Latter-day Saints view Sabbathing as, as a uh, quite seriously. Um, and so the unique experience we had at BYU was we, it was a ghost town. Yeah. I mean, I mean what was the statement that you said? Like we saw in t- two hours that we were on campus and we were like in the quad, we were in the student center. Like mm-hmm. literally we saw two human beings and like, was it you said you were like, I, I, cause Jeremy went to Liberty obviously. And it was like, I would see more students at Liberty on a Tuesday in the middle of summer than mm-hmm. right this moment on a Sunday at yeah. BYU. Like and it was I think, crazy. And I think BYU has two to three times as many students as we, we had at Liberty. Up, yeah. 
and yeah, so I mean, if you if you went to Liberty on summer break, July, you went you could go on July fourth. You could go on a day where reasonably there should be nobody on campus, and you'll see a, a good number of people. Okay. Um, and we saw almost nobody, and here's why: we we can't nail it down completely because right. we get different answers from everybody we talk to. But it was Sunday, and the general conference was going on, and so there is a pressure to. I mean, think about it from their worldview. An apostle is talking, and yep. I can watch him on my phone. Yep. You know, so there's an expectation that they're going to do that. Or if they don't care, they are not going to be the one sucker that's just like found around, just like somebody like looking out their window. Look at this chump. He's in the middle of the quad. He's yeah. not looking at general conference. Also, keep in mind, BYU has like a legal responsibility to have at least 10% non-church member um students there or it'll be like they'll, they'll face like uh, repercussions for that so there were at least 10 percent of however many students on that campus were just in their dorm because they didn't want to be the one pe- person that was not in their dorm yeah so i actually made the comment while we were there i was like you know that people are looking out their windows going who the heck are these guys a dude in a beard and a dude in bl- all black yeah. and rip skinny jeans yeah yeah we don't look mormon no you know no, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah we would not pass you passed quite well on saturday uh, at general conference wearing polo your polo and in nice jeans but um but yeah so so provo and byu are a phenomenal experience because like i said you know um this this is at a time provo in utah county that it's in would have been considered 90% Latter-day Saint. I don't you hear that it's dropped down to like 70, which obviously there's probably some wiggle room in there. Um moving up to Salt Lake City, um that it, that used to be probably like 70 or 80%. And, and, the, and the used to be number is I think Joe was telling us when he moved there in like 04. Yeah. That's what the the census was. Yeah. And so so now Salt Lake City, while especially the northern part of it near the temple and the conference center um are uh, completely and utterly owned by the church, Mm -hmm. uh, as we found out. Um, 40 acres. At least 40 acres of it, yeah. Um, Salt Lake City is about 50% Latter-day Saints. I heard, yeah, either that, I also heard a number, another person's site, like, less than 30%. Like, it used to be 60% during, like, that 04 number, and then Mm -hmm. now is it, like, at less than 30? Yeah, and and of course, it's, it's, it's of course, different, difficult to account for, too, because you have different levels of devotion, you know? And this is not a, a faith that, you know... I mean, there, it's it's easy to be nominal, I would suppose, just like it's easy to be a nominal evangelical. Right. Um, so there's a lot of people who would say they're part of the church that maybe aren't. So, so Salt Lake, we 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 come up to Salt Lake City for this general conference, and um, we have you know we have camera equipment, we have recording equipment, and we we ride up on this train. We are the you can Latter Day Saints, especially the ones who are attending general conference, have a certain look about them. They dress extremely nice. The, the ladies um, look like they're going to Target. Um, the guys, you know, look like they, you know, are do when they're knocking on your door, you know. And so here we are on this front runner train going from Provo to Utah. And we, we had put on decent clothes that day and had made a good look at it. But we look like schmucks compared to them. Yeah. Yeah, I had polo and, a, and, and some khakis on. And, and that, w- that was a big step because I was wearing, like, all black and skinny jeans. But, like... I still suck out a sore thumb. Like, like there was yeah. nothing comparable. Yeah. And so we, 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 we kind of make the walk to the convention center. And the first thing we're greeted by, other than the sound of bagpipes, which the bagpipes, as best as I can tell, were there to drown out what the next thing we heard was these street preachers and these protesters. Yeah. Um, and we had been told, we had been warned. 
that probably the 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 height of the experience would be these street preachers and protesters who basically were just there to yell at the people walking in to general conference. Yeah. Um, and so we jumped into these little free speech zones, um, taped off on the sidewalk, these taped off on the sidewalk. Yeah. Cause we weren't allowed to record on church property and you couldn't obstruct the flow of traffic on the sidewalk. So you had to jump in these free speech zones and from your vantage point, what was, what was kind of going on there? It was literally like, again, we flowed in with the crowd coming off the train from Provo to Salt Lake. We're like the train we were on had like easily like 200 miles like yeah. around us. And we literally walk up to the convention center and it's just a bunch of people flowing into this. Honestly, it looks like a compound. Like, like you cannot look at that building and tell me it doesn't look like a, like a, like a, a compound. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's just like super like cement and, and, and kind of like, kind of like that. But like basically, it was, I mean, it's nice. Though. It is yeah, nice. Yeah. It looks nice. Um, but like, just, I don't want people to think like this is Waco. Or something. No, 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 no. Like it looked appealing. Yeah. Um, no, but like literally 13,000 Mormons flowing into one convention center and there's literally just like, in these probably like, well, how, how, what do you see the square foot? It was in this free zone. It's super small. Yeah, it's probably like 15 by 20. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just literally just like people holding up signs, just protesting at these like families gripping their, their, yeah. uh, their, their kids by the wrist. Just yeah. like, come on, let's keep going. Like go inside and stuff like that. Um, it, it was a wild thing to mm-hmm. see because they were just going about their day and going about their business, yeah. you know. And honestly, and the thing is, like, like to to your point earlier, like, there's so many like you know members of, of LDS that are like you know they're good people, they're they're great mm-hmm. neighbors and stuff like that. It's true. It's like yeah. there there are people that like I wish that a lot of the American church was as you know dedicated and and you know to to the extent that some of these people were there, like like super just wanting to do to do their best to look their best and to to just to you know learn and, and whatever and it's they're good people but it's like so completely lost but either way just a bunch yeah. of good people just walking in just being like berated yeah. by yeah. these protesters and it's worth noting too because the difficult probably the most difficult part i would say of that experience for me and i know for you as well because we talked quite a bit about it is that theologically we might have lined up more with the people who were making a horrible show of yeah. of faith which is these people who were literally just screaming you know you know you're going to hell you have the wrong god and like if you don't know uh latter day saints wear what's called temple garments they're um basically a, a type of like undergarment which is supposed to at all times remind them of the temple. And like some of them were waving the temple garments, which is just like, you know, you can justify that, I suppose, because you're facing a group that you're saying, Hey, they're, they're completely lost and we want to do whatever we can to make them realize how lost they are. But me and you were just sitting there going like, do you think this is actually going to help? I've literally heard a better conversation. I've literally seen somebody, like scream at a brick wall and heard more of conversation back. Um, yeah. Literally they were shouting to avoid, but it, it felt, I felt disgusting kind of just like sitting in that free speech zone and being like, I agree with these schmucks and they like, this is awful. It was yeah. like, it was about, yeah, it yeah. was. And we uh, say we agree with them. I mean, I, I, I kind of genuinely doubt that we do at the end of the day yeah. because I'm kind of like, you know, you're yelling at these Latter-day Saints saying, Hey, you're legalists and you believe in works and all of these things, which they do. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, if I could draw a picture of your God, which has led you to do this, I don't think I worship that God either. Um, because I just, I just refuse to believe that like you've met a gracious Jesus that Paul met on the road to Damascus that I met in high school that, you know, that you've met that's led us to a grace filled life. Cause really the difficulty with, with Latter-day Saints 
and you know, we've said it a few times. I just want to put this, this marker there. Like the culture is great. The, the behaviors and a lot of these things are great. At the end of the day, though, the reason why they are that way is because it's a performative works-based faith and they can say what they Mm -hmm. want is the idea of living a life to, um, the point of exaltation of becoming like God, um, and having, you know, and, and we were just, before we got on, uh, to record, we were looking at the LDS website and, you know, they had the question of like, do, do Latter-day Saints think that you can become a God with your own sphere of existence? And they said, what, how did they phrase it? Well, every question on that like page, it was just a bunch of like a Q&A page basically. And it, this is again on the church's website. Yeah. And it was like a question and then it was like a paragraph, but each paragraph was like prefaced by like a one word yes period and then explanation why. So like mm-hmm. you get like a short answer and then keep going. But like the question of like, will someone who's exalted, will they inherit their own like planet and stuff like that? It was yeah. like, it literally, it didn't have that, that yes period and keep going. It was like a, well, the church is, doesn't believe that we'll, we'll, we won't, you know, support that doctrine. And then it kind of wrapped up the, the paragraph by saying, I, I, but we don't know though. We so like, know. yeah. And, and I'm just going to be as straight up as that can be. They do believe that. I mean, yeah. now the difficulty with Latter-day Saint thinking is what we were there to see, which was general conference, which is the all revelatory truth comes from the presidency and the quorum of the 12. And so technically if a, if a past president prophet has not definitively said yes to that question, which, you know, they have, and they haven't, um, if they have not outlined a specific belief, then the church will not take a firm stance on it. Like right now for ATAP Academy, I'm working on a video and and I'm, I mean, so deep in it, honestly, right now that like, I probably just need to film the video, but, um, on cosmology, like how do Latter-day Saints think the world came about? And one of the difficulties of studying that is they've never come out and said, like the, the presidency has never officially said, this is how it happened. This is how we interpret this scripture. So you can't, like you, you, you kind of read the Mormon scholars from BYU and all these other schools. And they say they piece together based off of their knowledge of scripture. But then the asterisk at the end is, but we don't know because no one has told us yet. Right. So, so yes, they're living this life geared towards exaltation. Um, and they're hoping to become, go to this highest level of heaven. They have the celestial level, which is for faithful Latter-day Saints, where they believe that hopefully if they've lived good enough life, they will become like a God. Then underneath that is the terrestrial kingdom, which is for good people who weren't Latter-day Saints. Um, and then the telestial kingdom, which is the lowest level for people who um, maybe didn't live good lives, weren't as faithful, um, but they don't believe in hell. Um, they believe in something called the outer darkness, which um, is usually reserved for like, you know, Satan and his demons and the worst of the worst of the worst. But they believe in eternal progression that even in the afterlife, we're all going to get continued chances to receive this truth and hopefully one day all become exalted. Now, all that being said, let's bring it back to the sidewalk at Salt Lake City. The reason why the culture is so cordial, the reason why you know the, the people are dressed so nicely, the reason why um, they are phenomenal neighbors is because they have to be. Mm-hmm. And the difficult thing about grace, which is the operative you know, vehicle in evangelicalism, is that 
there isn't that sense that I have to do this. I, I have to be this way, even though you should. If anything, it's those of us who are being motivated by grace who should be propelled even more to be a good neighbor, but we aren't, right. you know? And so, so it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to navigate here. And we're, like you said, we're standing here in these free speech zones with these protesters and these street preachers recording. And what a great way we found out to make sure that no one wants to talk to us, you know, <laughs> is having this camera. Um, and yeah, we're kind of men without a home, you know, we're with these guys who say they're Christian but they're just spewing this vitriol and hate. And we have, we have quite a bit of recordings of it. Um, we just got it, our uh, Adobe subscription figured out. And so I've, I'm weeks and weeks behind on editing, but um, you can go on, on our Instagram and there's a short clip that I posted and you can hear in the background, this woman yelling, you've got the wrong God. Your God has a wife. That's yeah. not a real God. And it's like, you know, um, I wrote on Instagram, like the difficult thing is I agree with her, you know, but, I will choose to, you know, lower my voice so that maybe I'll be heard by these Latter-day Saints through things like this, through the work that we're continuing to do in those communities, as opposed to just shouting and screaming at them, hoping that what, they're going to repent right there on the sidewalk? No, what's going to happen there is they're going to go into the conference center and go, how about those loonies out on the sidewalk who uh, they say they love us, but they obviously don't. Yeah, it's actually, you saying that made me think of like, you know, you've seen, uh, most people have seen like Stephen Crowder and like, I changed my mind. Like yeah. so many people I see like walk up to him and like try, try to strike up a conversation with him, but he's not shouting or anything like yeah. that. Like the the voices that have something to say are oftentimes like the more quiet ones. Like yeah. you're really not being super effective at all. Mm-hmm. Like there's nobody responding to you. Yeah. Well, and we did see great examples of this, honestly. We got to rub elbows with a couple groups that were, in my opinion, were doing a really good job. You know, we, we saw some groups... Um, that were, uh, you know, faithful believers who they, maybe they had literature of some kind. Some Apologia was there. Yeah. Apologia church, which is Jeff Durbin's church. Um, I think out of Arizona, they were there. There's a couple other groups that were there just trying to have genuine conversation with people walking in, which is difficult because, you know, like, just like how we got grouped in right away at the hotel with the street preachers and yellers. Yeah. Um, so, so to the, these other groups, we, we were privileged though, to meet, um, the guys from cultish, um, yeah. which is another phenomenal podcast that, that deals exclusively in cults and in cult ish groups. Um, no pun intended. Um, and we, we got actually to, uh, speak for quite a while with Jeremiah from, from cultish and those guys were doing a great job just trying to, just trying to talk to people. That's the thing. It, it all comes down to bearing good witness. Are you bearing a good witness in the conversation that you're having or are you steering somebody from it? Like, and I have to go back to that sidewalk, but like you had mentioned before, like I hadn't noticed it cause I was, you know, behind the camera and, but, but you had noticed a, a mother yeah. just strolling a child and like the woman just in her face, like screaming and, and stuff like that. And the, the sheer shock of that kid's face yeah. just being strolled in. And like, again, if, if they're from the area, odds are the vast majority if not all of the people that they engage with for their adolescent life are probably going to be members of the church but yeah their impression of you know evangelical christianism is like this woman yelling at me saying i'm going to hell and i'm damned and screaming her head off at me like that would turn me out like it's all about what kind of witness are you bearing and if it's if it's not out of a loving way then you're doing yeah. it wrong from the yeah. start yeah yeah i i just had this startling thought as i watched it and just you know, and the, the particular kid that I saw was, you know, um, you know, my son's uh, four years old. Uh, he, some had to be somewhere right around Luke's age, and and I just thought I was like, oh, 
okay, so probably for the rest of that kid's life, he's going to go, oh, that's that's a Christian, that's an evangelical? Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to be part of that group, you know? Yeah, so I'm just kind of, you know, walking away from that experience with that in mind. And yeah, we had we had good conversations with some of the protesters. Um, we met Reuben Israel, who's a very famous uh, protester, uh, street preacher, I think he would rather me call him. Um, who travels around to these events. He's, he's well-known, unfortunately, at uh, General Conference. Um, he, he was nice to us. You know, he yeah. talked to us. Um, with him, a guy named John, who's actually uh, a temple-worthy uh, Latter-day Saint who disagrees with the direction that the leadership is taking the church in. So he was actually standing there with Reuben and his crew, um, you know, basically telling these Latter-day Saints, Reuben's telling them, hey, you're going to hell because you're, you believe in a false prophet and a false gospel. And John, every time they would, you know, a, a, a Latter-day Saint would engage with Reuben and say, no, we don't believe we're going to become like gods. John would walk up and go, actually you do because yeah. Joseph Smith said this. And, and he, and I actually asked John, I was like, but so you still agree with the writings of Joseph Smith. You're still a Latter-day Saint and very much affirms that, you know, yeah. but completely disagrees with the direction of the church because right now, we're seeing the evidence that they are trying to be accepted more and more mainstream, which is why from the leadership themselves, even you're hearing quite a bit of we're the same. Yeah. You know, we're not that different from the rest of Christianity. It's like a nice bait and switch to be honest. Yeah. Like, and in the past they would have very proudly said, no, we are not like Christianity. In fact, right. Going all the way back to the mid 19th century, this whole thing started because you guys are wrong, you yeah. know, which in I always tell people, like, I appreciate when people will just tell me they disagree, you know? I feel like that's probably a byproduct of their their drop in numbers across the board yeah. in, in, like, the turn of the 21st century because it has gone down drastically. Uh, maybe maybe it's to try to appease, and, and again, bait and switch. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It could probably be a byproduct of that. Yeah, so so the, the overall experience, though, in Provo and Salt Lake was um, – was incredible, learned a lot. And, and there's going to be content that comes from that, especially video. Um, and, and we're in the thick of that. So all throughout May, um, you're going to see more and more. So make sure to follow us on Instagram. And then once we launch the YouTube channel, go and see some more long form stuff there. Before we finish up, we wanted to make it a little bit practical. And uh, David, uh, you had a couple questions that you thought would be advantageous for people to walk through with us. Um, because the number one thing I hear all the time is, how do I share my faith with Latter-day Saint? How do I share my faith with the missionary who comes to my door? Um, and there's no easy answer to that, uh, except for this. Just share the gospel with them. Like, Don't try and customize it necessarily for them. There are certain things that, as you learn about Latter-day Saint thinking, that would help. I mean, focusing on why we don't need temples, why the scripture is sufficient, why Jesus is God. Um, but don't think that there's some trick that you can pull with a Latter-day Saint that's going to all of a sudden, you know, make them fall to their knees. The, the worst thing that you can do, honestly, is try to say, and I and agree with the, the notion that we're a very super similar you know, religion. And that the reason that we're not, the reason I say that we're, we believe in different God is because mm-hmm. they believe in, in a God that exists within time and within yep. space and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is, is that, yeah, you can believe that Christ, you know, was, you know, was, was a son of God, son of man, uh, died, went to the grave, rose three days later and atoned for all sins of man. But if at the end of the day, we don't believe that our God is 
you know, metaphysical and, and outside of space and time, then we're not believing the same God. Yeah. Like, but the, the, the worst thing you can do is, is to, to say we are super similar in trying to evangelize, to try and give them a bait and switch back because that's not showing them any respect. That's being dishonest. And honestly, that's causing too much of a slippery slope to just be like, all right, well, we can just disagree, but then it's fine. You know? Yeah. And, and, and that's just, you know, my, uh, my experience in that. But yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, I have a question here. Um, what is baptism for the dead? Oh, Okay. So, uh, baptism for the dead actually is in our canon of scripture. Um, Paul, Paul mentions it, um, in speaking about baptism, he speaks about baptism for the dead. Historically, the church has not uh, affirmed what the Latter-day Saints affirm, which is the idea that Paul, or the idea that we are to go back and, um, in honor of the dead, baptize, uh, you know, family members, and the church has even gone so far as to baptize people who weren't family members. Uh, they got into quite a bit of uh, trouble publicly for baptizing um, uh, Holocaust victims, uh, and the idea behind it was in the afterlife, in the telestial or terrestrial kingdom, these people would then be given the opportunity to accept the truth of the church because they are given that through baptism. And so the church does practice this today, and, and that's why they are so um, effective uh, from a genealogical standpoint. We actually visited the, I can't remember what it's called, but the place that they you can go and like find out family, your family tree. Family Research Center, I believe it yeah. was. And it was, it was fascinating. They have, a, they have an app and you have to go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right, exactly. So, you know, I, we went and, um, you know, you can, you know, put your parents and your grandparents in there and they trace your family all the way back. And actually, interestingly enough, like companies like 23andMe and um, Ancestry.com, most of these companies actually are owned or at least influenced strongly by the Latter-day Saints because they're the only ones who have the genealogical records to do that kind of stuff. And it's because of baptism for the dead and things like it, um, because they want to know family is extremely important to Latter-day Saints. Yep. And the idea that we would be eternally sealed to our families, specifically our spouses, in, you know, requires that they sort of know what their family tree is. And so baptism for the dead in Latter-day Saint thinking is that it's giving family members who are, are, are in, you know, one of the afterlife kingdoms, the opportunity to continue, continue to progress towards exaltation. Nice. Uh, another question. Um, in Psalm 82, it's the Psalm of Asaph, um, is actually referenced on one of the, the Q and a, uh, yep. pages on the LDS website. Um, Psalm 82, six says, I ha I said, you are God's son of the most high, all of you. Yeah. Would you be your, your response to yep. their quotation of that? So, so, so of course the Latter-day Saints would interpret that as, as cluing towards exaltation. The idea that as sons of God, we are in turn also gods. Michael Heiser, who's a past guest of the ATAP podcast would actually reference that verse in uh, as evidence for what he calls the divine council, uh, is the idea that you have these other Elohim, which is lowercase gods. Um, this is not a polytheistic thought. This is, we see that there's a structure and a hierarchy to angelic and spiritual beings, the cherubim, the seraphim, you have archangels. And while we don't know extensively how that hierarchy worked, or works actually to this day in the spiritual kingdom. Mike Heiser, who's a phenomenally interesting scholar, and go back and listen to that old episode uh, from 2020. Um, 
he says that that verse is in support of God looking at this divine counsel of other angelic beings who help him govern creation. And a, a, a soft evidence for this would be, have you ever read Job and wondered why Satan got to talk to God? Yeah. So what Mike Heiser would say is that that's a lowercase s Satan. Satan just means accuser. And so what Mike Heiser might say is that um, in at that time, there was an angel, there was a spiritual being whose role it was to survey mankind. And that that angel, the accuser, Satan, so not the proper noun Satan that we would mm. you know use to describe the enemy, so to speak, came into the divine council and said, hey, I've not found anybody, you know? And so that's what Mike Heiser would say to that. And, and he would firmly agree, as I would, um, or firmly disagree with the Latter-day Saints thinking that, that this is implying that, hey, we're all to be gods one day. Yeah. So. Um, let's stick with one more question. Um, what would you say um, the purpose to life would be for uh, an LDS perspective? Hmm. What was the main goal? to seek after. That's really good. And I mean, it'd be easy to say exaltation, but I think realistically most let's leave, let's give them some credit. Most Latter-day Saints are not waking up every single day thinking I got to do my best today so that I can become a God. Yeah. Okay. And in the same way, you know, my Hindu friends and my Buddhist friends are not thinking about moksha every day or nirvana every day. Right. In the same way that we're not thinking about heaven every day. We're not thinking about the bodily resurrection every day. I think most Latter-day Saints um, are trying to be good husbands, good fathers, good wives, good mothers, all those things, um, because the emphasis in Latter-day Saint thinking, you know, has been the idea of the tight-knit community and family surrounding the truth of the Latter-day Saint church. And so I think the purpose of life is to get married. We see, you know, just, I mean, how, you know, you're 20, right? Mm. I mean, you're pretty young, wise beyond your years. Um, the first thing Joe said to you when we got into the car, he picked us up at the airport after he found out that you weren't married. He said, Oh, we can get you a wife this week. Two, two by tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and the reason why that's funny is because it's true. Yeah. I mean, the, the first part, not the well, two. Well, it's, it's funny because like, on Sunday, we were looking. There ended up yeah. not being no wards open. Wards we had, are yeah, basically, we had planned on going to a, a, a service at the local ward, yeah. which is basically like their form of church. Yeah, and um, uh, we're around BYU, obviously, and um, like there were there were only a, a few wards around, and and one of them, one of them was for no, almost or, all of them were yeah young singles, y- yeah. young young singles and stuff like that. But they also had like a lot of young married ones, yeah. which around, which is yeah. is wild because a, a large percentage of the student population at BYU is married. Yeah, I mean, we we walked around that student center. We saw like literally there was like a, a, like a newspaper rack with like literally the front cover on three different newspapers was like. BYU dating apps and yeah. and rings and stuff like are being advertised and stuff yeah. like that. It's wild. Yeah. So marriage is is a, you know, I did my undergraduate at Liberty. The joke was ring by spring. Yeah. And um, people would say that the girls were coming to get MRS degrees. You know, to become a missus. Yeah. Um, that's like tenfold at BYU, and and it's because, going back to your question, the purpose in life. The purpose in life is to find a spouse, have a good marriage, and have good kids, and be eternally sealed in the temple so that one day you can spend eternity with your spouse and even with your children. Um, and the undercurrent keeping that afloat is 
at the end of the day, exaltation is the idea that, yeah, my life's goal, my life's dream, my purpose, even as you've said, is theosis, becoming like God. And if you want to become like God, Elohim, as they call him, we would say Yahweh, um, well, then I want my own sphere of existence too. And I want to have spiritual children and I want to, you know, be who God's made me to be. Right. And, and that is to, to do that. And so, the, you know, there's some speculation there, because as I've said, the church has never officially come out and said, hey, by the way, this is, this is the purpose to life and it's exaltation. But anybody, anybody who looks at Latter-day Saint thinking and writing and theology and prophecy who disagrees that this has been the historic teaching of the church over the last uh, 100 years, 150 years, is, um, you know, has their head in the sand. And so, um, so yeah, so, but, but it goes back to the idea though, like on the outside looking in, and this is because our culture and their culture is so similar and it's because it's rooted in a lot of the same things culturally on a day-to-day, from a day-to-day perspective, their purpose to life is not any different than ours, but it's when you get into that worldview of, okay, what unseen things are motivating that day-to-day experience. And that is where a cosmic difference lies between the truth of evangelical or even just Orthodox Christianity. And we would include, you know, all of Protestantism, Catholicism, and even, you know, Eastern Orthodox. We agree on most of our worldview issues. And the reason why Latter-day Saints are not included in that is not because we don't like them. It's not because they don't fit. Culturally, we as evangelicals are closer to Latter-day Saints than we are Catholics or Orthodox. But theologically and worldview, we are closer to, you know, those brothers and sisters than we are Latter-day Saints. And that's the thing that I wish more people would know and understand. Absolutely. So, so, um, an amazing trip. You did a phenomenal job, by the way, running the camera. I can't wait for people to see footage. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, we have more planned, we have more coming up. So, so make sure to go, uh, check us out all things dot all people on Instagram, all things, all people.org. If you have a question, if you, uh, maybe you're Latter-day Saint and there's something that we said that you want to address that you want to ask us, uh, reach out. You can reach out to me, Jeremy at all things, all people.org or at the, the Instagram account that I've already referenced a few times. Um, and be ready next month. Um, we'll have more base camps uh, waiting on you. And so, David, phenomenal job. And uh, I hope you're on the next one, too. Thank you.